It's our final episode of the first year of the Foul Trouble podcast. Getting a little sentimental. We're doing New Year's resolutions for NBA teams ourselves. We're actually going to wrap up the little hot streak shooting slump and a little bit of best take, worst take, because Patrick and I totally forgot to nominate a winner on the last episode. You guys, things were a little crazy. It's a little out of town. We kind of got the Christmas buzz was still going. It's a prolonged hangover, but let's get into Foul Trouble. What's up, man? We just like completely lost our minds at the end of the last, last episode. episode. Yeah, we kind of did. Um, that's okay, because because it, it's all about the tease. It's all about the tease. Do you want to just get it, uh, it out of the way, the, figure that out first? The best take, worst take. The best take, worst take. Okay, so obviously, you know, if you guys have been listening, if you haven't been listening every week, every Monday, Patrick and I nominate the best and worst takes in the NBA landscape. Every Tuesday, we put out our videos on Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, And then at the end of the month, we choose what was the worst take of the month. So here are your nominees for December 2023. Brandon Jennings, quote, Kevin Durant should leave Phoenix. He doesn't deserve this. Carmelo Anthony, quote, nobody ever busted my ass. Skip Bayless, (laughs) quote, nobody ever called Michael Jordan a bitch. And... The final one, not a quote, uh, a thought, an action. The Washington Wizards and possibly the hockey teams, the Capitals? Yes, the Capitals as well. Moving to Northern Virginia. It's funny. I Like three of them are so like Hooper coded. It's yeah. like such that Hooper mindset. Um, hmm, I feel like I'm kind of leaning Carmelo right Oh, now. I was hard Carmelo Anthony, yeah. That's just yeah. like... To say that you never got your ass busted is absolutely insane. Well, and like we, we came with receipts that episode too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If you if you didn't see James's like dossier that he came up with <laughs> to illustrate how bad Carmelo got his ass busted. Look, no shame in getting your ass busted by LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Those were the samples I chose. No, no, no. It's like no shame at all. Just be real. Yeah, like, just be real, man. Yeah. Don't, don't be a real hooper. It's cool. Like, you know what's even more impressive than never getting your ass busted? Being being truthful. Being and being real. Being, real being to, a real hooper. Yeah, being a real hooper. Real hoopers know when they get their ass busted. And I guess I guess Carmela's not a real hooper. Um, so congratulations. I mean, like, there's the, it's done. I Max, are we missing anything? This is the closest Carmelo's ever gotten to the finals, man. He's in the worst take <laughs> finals at the end of the season. Well, the, yeah, the only other time that he was this close, he was getting his ass busted, busted by, by Kobe. Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, my god. Okay. All right. So on go. today's episode, Patrick and I are coming with New Year's resolutions. We've got two for NBA teams or players, and we have one for ourselves, kind of related to the NBA. Um, and Patrick, do you want me to go first? Do you want you want to go second? Um, by all means, I, I'd love you to start us off in this this trend of change in mm-hmm. the holiday season. Um, so the team I want to give a New Year's resolution to is the Los Angeles Clippers. There we go. And keeping it local. Keeping it local. A local team. A team I grew up going to a lot of games for. Uh, and my resolution for the Clippers is to up the hockey assists. Okay. So for those of you guys who don't know, a hockey assist is basically just like you pass to somebody and then they quickly pass it and they get an assist. It's kind of like the overall ball movement. So the Clippers currently are last place in hockey assists at 2.2 per game. That is half of the league leader in Golden State Warriors. So that's a huge drop off. Um, 
they are 30th in passes per game. So the Clippers are already passing the ball less than any other team. So, like, how are they functioning as an offense? How are they 18 and 12? So they are second in assist to pass ratio. So, I mean, that comes with Harden ball. That comes with Westbrook ball, right? Like, kind of pounding the air out of ball, driving kick, or maybe pick and roll. But the Clippers are kind of filled with these, like, great ISO guys. Harden, George, Leonard, Westbrook on the right night. Powell, even. Yeah, just, like... And I think you see this with a lot of Harden teams, like game one of a series, they're playing Harden ball and the other team's like, whoa. And then by game six or seven, the, the team with Harden on it kind of looks a little bit more stagnant. We've seen that kind of every year of Harden's career. Um, so I think for the Clippers, I know it's kind of tough because all of these guys, especially George and Leonard, are like play finishers. They've never been great passers in that regard. But like, I think if the Clippers can get a little bit more movement and then more ball movement, it would make their offense a little bit more unpredictable and probably come playoff time more difficult to stop and i think if they can up that i think i would take them more seriously as a contender yeah i i think that's like a great like inefficiency that you found in in there and it is like they are so such like an iso heavy team uh, and a team that's like you said full of great iso players but yeah i mean that's kind of been the downfall of all the great like super teams that we've seen not work it's been because they fall into that like super iso heavy it'll be interesting the the other problem about it is just they have not had that much time to mesh and become like this beautiful game version of themselves but um yeah i it's just really easy to defend teams that have one action mm -hmm. if like the one action is like the driving kick or it's the pick and roll, but they're not doing the like Paul George passed it and now he's relocating and Leonard is setting a screen for, I don't know, Powell who's coming off and then Leonard's rolling on top of that. Like they're just not doing that series of moves that I think like you look at a team like the Heat, right? Not even filled with the greatest offensive players, but like that handoff game and everyone's running off screens and Duncan Robinson's cutting to the hoop. Like that's hard to guard and the Clippers have so much talent, like just. It's not. It's. It's. It's not. I don't even know if it's a selfishness thing. It's just like, come on, guys. You. You gotta. You gotta all stop playing like heliocentric players on a team where there's four of you. Yeah. Well, and and you gotta stop playing like you are like twenty five and you are the main superstar. You're You're the franchise player. Like that's the whole thing with this Clippers team is everybody's gotta buy in and everybody's gotta find their role. And if that doesn't happen, like to to your credit they're not going to be the contender that they could be and the contender that they should be. Yeah, I will say to their credit of the stars, I feel like all of them have accepted the totem pole ranking of like Leonard is 1A on the team, which I think is a great first step for those four guys. The problem is Leonard is probably the worst playmaker out of those four guys, Yeah, <laughs> which is an interesting conundrum on its own. But uh, yeah, what is your first uh, resolution all right, my first resolution, it's a little broader, but um, I'm, I'm keeping it local as well. I'm going for the Lakers, and this one is, is straight to Rob Palinka, and it is don't overthink adding talent at the deadline. There was a report by Woj um, last week where he said the Lakers are prioritizing speed and athleticism going ahead of the NBA trade deadline. This is exactly what got the Lakers into the Russell Westbrook conundrum. This is exactly what wasted the first season that they had LeBron. And that's just 
trying to galaxy brain build around LeBron and AD. Building around LeBron and AD is super simple. You need two things that two things that we've seen that works. One is three-point shooting. That's been the book on LeBron James. It's super simple. Every time LeBron has done really well, with exception to maybe the bubble season, they have had amazing shooting around LeBron James. And then the other side of the coin, whenever Anthony Davis has been really, really, really successful, they have built a super large team around him. I get that the Lakers are not where they want to be right now. They've been super hot and cold throughout the entire season. But if there's one thing that we've seen from this Lakers roster thus far, it's that they they have that switch. They can kind of turn it on. So I would kind of lean towards the belief in my guys of like they have that switch. We've at least that's the cool thing about the in-season tournament this year. We've seen at least a couple teams be able to turn it on and like just don't make a trade to make just to make a trade. Yeah, I yeah. saw I saw a really interesting tweet. I think it was like the Lakers are kind of this weird roster where all the role players are either really good at defense and bad at offense or really good at offense <laughs> and bad at defense. And it's kind of resulted in them not being good at either. Um, but I think definitely like we've seen like the best version of this Lakers team, the one that was really good at the end of last season, the one that won the championship is like the defense first team. So like what kind of move do you think they should they should make? Because clearly I feel like they do need to make a move of sorts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would... The first place my mind goes is consolidating the guard talent that they have on this roster. And definitely, like, if I could choose any archetype of a player, it would be a big that can play next to Anthony Davis and shoot. Of course, like, 95% of the league is looking for a big that can play next to other bigs that can shoot. But and I I think they have a lot of their salary cap tied up in these guards right now, so there's a little bit of wiggle room there. But I really wouldn't force anything too much because the other thing is like once it gets to playoff time, I think this Lakers team is is gonna look the way they play games is gonna be a lot different. Like they're going to be able to play with their size more. They're going to be playing through LeBron a lot more than they are in any given like day in day out of the regular season kind of thing. I what what would you be focusing on um if you're Rob Palenka? I don't know if I would go for the other big just cuz even the year they won the championship in the bubble, it was really awesome having the rotation with Howard and McGee, but it did seem like when it was like, you know, time to like win a game, they would go to AD at the 5. I still feel like the best version of this team is the one where they find a way to get Vanderbilt on the court. Just because when they have Vanderbilt and AD out there, they're kind of like suffocating on defense. I just feel like the only way that they can really do that is if... They get really good shooters on the other two slots. And if you get Anthony Davis shooting. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because Davis was a better shooter. It's just last year they had those stretches where LeBron was out a lot of games. And it was just like Vanderbilt and AD where this just... Monster, kind of like what we're seeing with the Timberwolves this year with like Gobert and McDaniels. But I guess, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. They need shooting. I think the best version of this team is like three guys you can shoot, and one of those three guys can also play make a little bit to if you know, so not every single pick and roll is going through LeBron. 
Um, My other thing that I said last episode is like the thing that I would really love to focus on, and I'm not exactly sure how this happens, but like whatever your move is, I think it's got to result in Austin Reeves playing bigger minutes, more minutes with your starters. Like we've seen it for pretty much the entirety of the NBA teams that can play with their best three players on the court more are usually better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird. Cause I think like, you know, if you didn't know anything about the players and you just put them on a spreadsheet, you'd be like, wow, Delo's a great fit for this team, but there's just, I don't know. He plays at such a funky pace that I just feel like the Lakers, I, I don't know how to describe Delo's like weird herky jerky, like pace of play, but I feel like the Lakers just kind of need a more like normal point guard. And I'm like, I'm curious like what it looks like when Gabe Vincent comes back because obviously when Gabe was playing he was pretty bad this year but it was also like such a small sample size and like the Lakers as a whole team were shooting the ball terribly to start the year so I'm wondering like is there a part of the Lakers brass that's like how much better does this look when Gabe comes back or is Gabe regressed to what he looked like a year ago before the playoffs started. Yeah, I mean, the, that Gabe Vincent piece is like such, it's a, such a wild piece card. For yeah. Them because you, you're right. You can't take anything from what happened. Like, I don't think he was really 100% there. Obviously, he's been out so much of the season. But to your point with the D'Lo thing, like, I think the D'Lo thing is kind of Westbrookian in why it doesn't work. D'Lo has more off ball value than Westbrook, obviously. But the way you extract the value that you can out of D'Angelo Russell is by giving him the ball. And when you have LeBron James, it's like, why are we giving D'Angelo Russell, Russell the, the ball? ball? Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's just the big D'Lo conundrum because there are games where he like has like really good like eight, 10 minute stretches. And those are the stretches where the Lakers truly look unbeatable when he has it going because it's like when he has it going and his shots going, it's like, OK, now it's. It's really tough when he's elevating back to like Brooklyn level. Absolutely. But and it's I just think, not frequent enough. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he buys in. I think it's easier to buy into the team concept when you're on fire. And yeah. so when he's on fire, LeBron's dishing it to him. It just all makes sense. Yeah. All right. My next resolution. And I think I literally wrote my notes. I think a lot of fans are sick of hearing about this guy and this team. Uh, my next team is the Toronto Raptors. They're 12 and 18. They're 12th in the East. And it's trade OG and Anobi and maybe Pascal Siakam. Um, so OG and Anobi is currently making 18 million, very tradable contract. He has a $19 million player option at the end of the season. He's going to turn that down. Um, OG and Anobi is going to be, be able to sign a long term deal that'll pay him more per year than 19. I guarantee that. I think a lot of people are kind of sick of hearing about this guy because it's like the Raptors are 12 and 18. They're 12th in the East. Why is this guy always talked about, right? And it's like, He's 6'7", he's 240 pounds, he shoots 37% from three-point land, and he's a good defender. It's kind of really simple. Like, if the Lakers could trade for this guy, he would fit so well in their three, you know, four spot, two spot, if they could. But uh, to illustrate, like, how impactful this guy is, so the Raptors are uh, have a net rating of plus 2.2 with him on the court, and they're minus 8.5 with him off of it. Damn. And I think his plus minus impact is a little outsized on a team like Toronto, right? Just because, like... It's like, okay, like take Schroeder and take OG off, and all of a sudden, like nobody can shoot. So I feel like Schroeder probably also has a probably outsized plus minus on a team like that because it's like, oh, you can shoot. Like 
now Scotty Barnes can breathe. Like <laughs> he's not suffocating anymore. But yeah, it just I don't really understand Toronto's strategy. They're, they've minimized OG's value by not trading him last year because obviously if they traded him last year, whatever team would have had him would have had him for that year and this year. Now whatever team's trading for OG is going to be like, well, we know you're going to decline your player option. Like wink, wink. Are you going to sign with us at the end of the season? A little like Maury Harden type situation Ooh. because. I don't think they can just extend him at a huge extended salary from I'm not sure how that all works, but yeah, they've already lowered his value just by the years left. So I don't get what Toronto's aim is. He's not going to stay. And if he does stay, it's probably going to be on a hyperinflated contract. And I feel like it just, I don't know. It just, I don't, obviously like I would advocate for a lot of teams to sign OG and Anobi to a big deal. I just feel like Toronto is going to likely have to overpay if they want to keep him long-term. And it just seems odd. They're not, Making them, especially in a buyer's market where you can really capitalize on being a seller, why not sell? Yeah, there, there's two situations that come to my mind when we think about the OG Ananobi situation. The first thing is what we've been talking about here and there, and I think what the NBA world has been buzzing about, and it's the Donovan Mitchell situation in Cleveland right now. The OG Ananobi in Toronto situation is worst case scenario of that. It's you gamble on yourself, you don't trade him when you can really extract a bunch of value, and now you're a middling to bad Eastern Conference team, and you're faced with, they have Scotty Barnes, and I think they're gambling with Scotty Barnes's real prime in a way that we kind of saw with the Luca Kristaps situation, at least for the Mavs cap sheet, of when they traded for Kristaps and they had to max him out, although it wasn't like a great, the best fit, what it seemed like the fit was going to be with Luca, they restricted themselves so much that they couldn't really add free agents. They couldn't build around Luca in the way that they needed to. And I think that was at least partially why we saw the Mavs miss the playoffs last year. So like if the Raptors decide to max out um, OG Ananobi and completely destroy their cap sheet around Scotty Barnes, I think that kind of opens up doors down the road of like not being able to secure Scotty Barnes future in Toronto, which I think is the worst possible case scenario so you're right I, I i don't think the raptors can take another fred van vliet or kyle lowry like l on this yeah i just think the raptors also like because we talked about this with the pistons we did the like you know who's gonna be there in a couple years right and it's like one of these things where like guys like scotty barnes it's kind of hard to talk about them because he's so young he's one rookie of the year he's been a really good player and it's like is it the worst to ask like Look in the mirror, Toronto, like you're 12 and 18, like part of your spacing issues is Scotty Barnes. Like, you know what I mean? Like he, that's a huge limitation on his own game. So it's like, what is Scotty Barnes true ceiling? Right. You know what I mean? Like if he's a player that needs the perfect, perfect team around him, like what does that say about his ceiling as a superstar? Right. So I think that's the other thing too, is like, I don't know. It, it also seems weird that it's all like to call completely coalesce around Scotty Barnes as well in that sense. So why not trade OG and make your team worse and try to get a better draft pick along with those assets? Because 
if Scotty Barnes never develops a jump shot, you find out, okay, he's a little bit trickier to build around as a 1A superstar. Like, at least you now have other avenues to go about that. Absolutely. And, I mean, we've already seen it with Pascal. Like, Pascal Siakam has taken a huge step back this yeah. year from being the, like, all-NBA caliber forward that we've known him to be the last few years. And I think, like, if they are to trade him now, they're going to also get way less of a return. Yes. And the hope ends up being that you can find this, like, Sabonis for Halliburton scenario, which, like, does not happen. So here is the Pascal thing, because I said maybe trade Pascal. Because mm-hmm. at first, you know, when I'm, I'm coming up with this, I'm doing my OG research, and I'm like, oh, my God, no-brainer. Trade the guy. Pascal, it's, it's a little different. So he's on the last year of his deal. He's making $37 million, So he's going to be a lot harder to trade because, to your point, he's declined as a player quite a bit. Uh, his three-point shot is really bad. Last year, when he was on wide-open threes, he's at like 33.5%. So that's when he's like wide open. It's pretty bad. This year, on his wide, wide-open threes, he's at 29%. Because that's the thing. I was kind of like, okay, is he shooting bad from three? Because you know now he's taking a lot of these more contested threes now that like Van Vliet's out of the picture and he's kind of the 1A guy on this team. And it's like, no, actually, all of his threes are still open. He doesn't take a lot of contested threes. Um, so that's the thing. I don't really know where his value kind of lies. I think the one thing that is encouraging is he's shooting around like 50% around the foul line. So that's pretty efficient for mid range. Like, is this a guy that looks good in an offense that can get him going in the short roll, the pick and roll? But at the same time, like at 37 million, I don't know who's trading for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the hope is that Pascal Siakam's a guy that you've seen be able to accept a role. And we've seen him. At his peak, he's pushed down the pecking order a little bit uh, offensively. And so, like, I guess it's for a team that's looking for an infusion of talent. But I, I at least would hope a, a team like, like I've heard Indiana in a lot of um, discussions about both of these guys. And it's like, if you're Indiana, what are you willing to give up? Yeah, I, cause, so here's my thing with the Raptors. I don't think it's the worst thing to gamble on letting him become an unrestricted free agent because if another team wants to sign Siakam to like a four-year, $120 million deal and pay him like $30 million a season, like maybe Siakam rebounds from what we've seen from his shooting percentages. Like even the free throw percentage, it's like it's like 79 in his best season, then it's 78, 76, and now it's like 75. And it's just all these indicators are like, for whatever reason, this guy's losing his jump shooting ability and like... I don't know. After like a four or five year trend, which is kind of what we're on now with Siakam, like, I don't know if it's going to come back. So like, I don't know if I want to pay Siakam 30 million a season. Like, yeah, it might be better just for like, the Raptors to like resign him, try to get him on a little bit of a better deal. Yeah, Like be like, hey, man, like you tested the open market. You got what you got like one offer, like four for 80. Like we'll do a four for 85 and call it a day. Like, I don't know. It just seems like the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of like, if you can trade Pascal, I feel like they should. But I'd also, if they want to roll the dice on him, I don't blame him. Yeah. The The other thing is like, who's going to pay him? Yeah, that's kind of, that's my thing is like, I feel like for a while, a team I was like, you know, it'd be kind of nice to see him on Dallas. But now I'm like, I don't, how does he fit on Dallas? Yeah. Like Lively's just been such a good fit in the pick and roll game that it's like, they don't need a short roll guy like Siakam. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I the one thought that come, came to my head, and I don't know 
exactly what their cap sheet is, but I'm pretty sure that they would be able to afford him in the offseason is like him next to Wemby would be kind of cool. Like, yeah, I, I, I would be into that. His shooting woes are not as important when you've got a guy that at least teams are still honoring out to the three point line like Wemby. But um, yeah, it's definitely like teams that have enough money to afford him and would want to. I think that Venn diagram in the middle is a lot smaller than we might assume. Yeah. All Um, right. What is your next resolution? Okay. My next New Year's resolution, I'm calling out the Warriors. Warriors, it is time to start treating Steph Curry like your superstar and to reload around Steph Curry. That's what I want for them for 2024. Throughout all of Steph Curry's career, we've never really seen the Warriors like pedal to the metal, be like, this is our guy, this is our superstar, this is our once in a generation talent, and we are going to build specifically around him. (laughs) Then they caught lightning in a bottle, they got perfect fit, fits all around the board they i mean they're one of the most dominant um dynasties that we've seen in the modern era but then they started doing this thing where they i felt like they were building around the championship core with a the two timeline yeah yeah the The two two timeline the two timeline you guys know what i'm talking about they have two first round picks that they can trade and three first round pick swaps Like, don't waste having Steph Curry playing at a still superstar level. He's averaging 27 points a game, still shooting 41% from three on like an absurd number of attempts. I just, I, I think at this trade deadline, find a way to trade Chris Paul for long term money. Try to find a way to trade Clay Thompson for long term money. Protect. Steph Curry from the nostalgia of success. I like look forward with this guy. This guy is still him. He could be the he he can win a playoff like a playoff for you. He he can win four rounds of the playoffs. I truly believe that. But they have to stop building with the core in mind, and they have to start building with specifically Steph Curry in mind. And I just pray that in doing that, they maneuver their cap sheet in like in a way that is committed to Steph Curry. They don't try to cut the salary, or they they don't try to cut the luxury tax just yet because. Any other franchise, when you've got a guy of that, like, of those powers, of that ilk, like, it doesn't matter. You're pedal of the metal. I realize that a lot of the Warriors, like, best days may seem to be behind them. But I think Steph Curry has at least, like, a good three-year run left in him where they can be very, very competitive as a playoff team. They just need to, like... Let go of everyone else or let go of the like tenderness and and care that they have of all the guys around him. Like look for like a Gobert-esque package for Draymond. If you find it, great. If you don't, whatever. I think Draymond still could have value to this core. Um, I don't know. What, what, What do you think? 
Well, we talked about this on our worst moves of the offseason. They signed Draymond to a four-year, $100 million deal. So they've already failed objective one of your uh, of your thing. I, I mean, I don't know if that Draymond Green contract is tradable. I'll be honest. Like, just with the way he's been acting, right? Like, if you came into this season and this season hasn't happened yet, I would say, yeah, you could probably still trade Draymond, right? He has a lot of de- defensive versatility. But then you come into the season – He's getting kicked out of games left and right. He's getting fines and suspended. He's actually, as we talked about, been a negative player for their defense. They've been worse on defense with him out there this year. And I think it is like, I think Draymond is like, I really do think his contract is going to be one of the worst contracts in the NBA as soon as this summer. Even at only $25 million a season. And I think they're kind of stuck with him. I'm, I'm with you on at, at least the, the early returns on this contract. But you know what? This is the NBA, and it only takes one sucker. That's true. It only takes one sucker. He's 33, almost 34 years old. This contract is going to run until Draymond is like 38. I'm going to tell you right now, Draymond Green is going to be a very net negative player at 38. Like, if he loses a step, too, and like, because one thing that's great about Draymond, right, is like when he gets the defensive rebound, like, Lord help you, bro. With Steph and Clay running the wings and Wiggins with his athleticism, like they're awesome when Draymond's running transition. All the like, positive impact he's had this year has been on offense, really. Yeah, and that's the thing is like if he loses a step and it's like he loses that part of his game and maybe he's like not as good in that little like Curry gets trapped short roll game. Like, dude, I don't know where his value comes from. Hey, Draymond Green is long. He's versatile. He's big. This sounds just like a Toronto Raptors player. If the Raptors trade for Draymond Green, I think they need to start their own league in Canada and leave the NBA. Um, Um, No, I mean, I'm with you. I'm fully with you, right? I think letting this, like, clay Draymond core get in the way of building around Curry is, like, detrimental to their future success. And I think that's why you're seeing, like, I, I think I know it was reported they offered Clay a contract that Clay turned down. Like, seems like we're headed for the Clay divorce this summer. Clay's kind of been asked about it a bunch, and he's kind of just been like, if I leave, I leave. If I don't, I don't. And I'm kind of like, kind of just makes sense for both parties to let Clay test the open market and like. Yeah, but my thing is like because you, you what you're saying is if you lose the salary cap slot, it's going to be really hard to build around Curry because you're stuck with the cap. You exactly. can't use the bird rights. And the problem with Clay's contract is. Who is going to trade for that? Because I think to your point, you've had the swaps, you have the picks. So your package is going to be like clay plus picks. And then we get an asset back and, you know, but I don't know. Like, I don't know who that, that player is. I just don't know who it is. Who's going to want to do a trade like that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure who it is either, but uh, I mean, like if you can get away with like selling off clay's contract with just like a first round pick swap down the line. Like, I think that's something that could be really juicy to a team that's not contending. I, I But mainly I just want to get forth like the like general, like sense of what they should be doing. Um, no, I'm with you. I'm a hundred percent with you. I just think it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's Cause tough. I think that's the thing is like, I, I guess the way forward, if they're really like, we're going to build around Steph, like a proper build around Steph is like, you might have to trade a Pajimski. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. I, I don't know if I would trade with Pajemski with how amazing he's been, but like, that's an option. You've got uh, Moses Moody <clears throat> as an option. You've got Kaminga as an option. And like, 
I, I do think that they should start making these trade-offs of guys with promise for win now, guys that can win you a playoff series, which I just don't know if any of those three guys that we talked about will really help in the playoffs to accomplish that. Yeah, I think like I think you and I probably look at this Warriors team and we go, so last last year, second round of the playoffs, you go against the Lakers, you're going against a team that has Anthony Davis, you're going against a team that is just going to pulverize you on the boards and like that's what ended up happening and it's like so your response to playing the lakers and playing the nuggets is dario saric dario saric <laughs> drafting pajimski and um i forget the other name of that rookie they have but it's like it's like they oh, yeah, saw yeah. the way trace they, jackson, trace davis. jackson davis they saw the way they lost last last season and said yeah we'll sign up for that again like i don't really get what the what was the strategy? Like, it, I don't know. It's Yeah, I'm not sure. And, you know, something else that I think might be a part of this is it might be time with the Steve Kerr era. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say it because I think, like, Steve's offense is revolutionary. It's been amazing. It's given them such an edge over the year. But I do kind of think, like, if the Warriors have one more run with Curry in them, it might be like a more traditional superstar type of team where it's like, instead of it being a lot of Curry motion, it's a lot more like Curry pick and roll. A little bit more of a normal team, which like, I think we've seen the ceiling is way higher with the Kerr offense than a team like that. But it's hard to build a team like that when you don't have Clay, yeah. a, like a good version of Clay. Not only Clay, but also Draymond. Draymond. Yeah. Like, it is just so hard to find guys that fit in that system and we've seen really talented players pass through there and they just can't play that system and when you're trying to squeeze one more championship out of Steph Curry maybe it's time to make a compromise there especially for Steve Kerr a guy who seems to be a little fed up with just NBA life oh yeah I mean yeah, yeah. The, the thumping techno club music is it gets to you, man. Thumping techno club music, it's really tough. I mean, the refs, the refs. I, also, they the, don't the let irony you play of defense. him complaining about Jokic getting like 18 free throws, and then the next day, it's like, here's a picture of Jokic's arm, and it looks like it got mauled by a tiger. Like, dude, you're telling me you don't think you guys are fouling this dude? You can't guard him. You, it's the same thing with the playoffs last year. You guys foul big men because you can't guard them. That's just how it is like i don't know yeah i wouldn't be surprised if this was our our last steve kerr experience just seems like it might be time and he's not gonna have a, another summer where he's not gonna have a break yeah all right my personal resolution patrick so i think i talked to you about this once i've been kind of like half working on this project even though i don't do any nfl podcasts i don't do any nfl writing but i have this like theory that i've been researching and the more i research the more I, i'm kind of buying into the theory in the nfl that it's not that good running backs don't matter. It's that there's way less good running backs than you think. So my year resolution in relation to the NBA is I kind of want to, I kind of want to workshop a theory, kind of want to workshop a greater giant project um, related to that for the NBA. I got to figure out what it is, kind of a off the wall topic, maybe a little contrarian. Got to actually research it, vet it. But yeah, I kind of want to work on some a big cool project like that. I love that. I, I love that for you, man. You yeah. got this. You're you're one of the the greatest minds in the game, my man. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love that that running back theory, and it's it just makes sense coming from a Giants fan. Yeah, um, that there's there's more value there. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe it could be 
I, I feel like the center is the running back of the NBA. Right? Yeah. I, you know what I think it is the theory because I've I've been thinking about this a lot in relation to the Warriors because like we we had that we had that discussion once like will anyone catch the seventy three and nine like when they were in the middle of their run now tell me if you agree or Max if you agree or disagree when they were in the middle of their run like there was this big notion it was like big men don't matter anymore you can play small ball the shooting will outpace the rebounding and you'll win games. And I think, like, when we're in that moment, when we're in 2017, we're like, oh, my God, big men are, what's the point, right? But I think you wind the clock for it. It's 2023. It's about to be 2024. And I think with hindsight, it wasn't that big men didn't matter or that big men could not have countered that Warriors team. It was that there were no good big men. Like, DeAndre Jordan was, like, all NBA first team in, like, 2015. Like, Hassan Whiteside almost decided the Eastern Conference one year. Like... I think with hindsight, it really wasn't that that Warriors team was just so good. They made big men unplayable. It's that there just weren't good big men. There, there, there wasn't Jokic back then. There wasn't this version of Embiid. There wasn't this version of Giannis. There wasn't a Sengun. There wasn't Zion. There wasn't all these incredible big men we have now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's totally part of it. And, and the other, other part of it is just the way the game was played changed so quickly that the big men the big men in the league didn't have time to, to adjust adjust but also the big men in that were older closer to the time where they were entering the NBA also didn't have time to adjust they were like growing up watching Shaq being like we're like big big men is how like we are going to be able to give value to the NBA and that little part changing made such a huge difference. But like you said, like at a certain point, it's like you're either talented or you're not, you're either yeah. going to work in the NBA or you're not. And guys like Hassan Whiteside guys like freaking Andre Drummond, like Andre Drummond's been able to extract value out of his career. Dude, we're like four or three years removed from, Drummond's last Pistons season where they had him doing the Embiid thing where they put him at the free throw line and let him be like a passing hub and he actually looked kind of decent at it. And it's like, you can't even imagine Drummond doing that now because of guys like Sengun or Jokic. Yeah, and even guys like, you know, like like DeAndre Ayton. Like, we didn't have guys like DeAndre Ayton in the NBA um, in that era of NBA history. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering if the, the thing I should workshop is like how many dynasty teams were maybe a product, not a product, but like really benefited from a league-wide condition of talent at maybe one position. Because I mean, like, I'm thinking like even now, but like especially three, four years ago, I feel like if you asked someone like, make your top five list, it'd be like LeBron, Durant, Kawhi, like Steph, and then maybe Giannis. And it'd be like, wow, but after LeBron, Durant, Kawhi, it goes from like three of the four best players or small forwards to uh, there's not even another small forward in the top 50. Yeah, And it's one of those weird, obviously with positional versatility nowadays, it gets really muddy, but it is one of those weird things where it's like, why are those teams, maybe the reason, not the reason those guys are good, but one thing that really helps those teams is that like, when you have a 99 at one position, but the entire league only has 75s at that position, like that gives you a huge edge, right? Like having a Jokic is a massive edge in a league where there's only one other player of his kind of caliber at his position. Yeah. Also, at the start of the Warriors run, I think there was 
that was probably the time where we had the worst like overall talent at, at point guard as well, like true point guard. Like there was a couple teams where there just weren't any point guards, and it was also a time where we weren't letting other positions create as much as we are now. So I, I think that goes into it too. But yeah, there's definitely like so much area to dig into like what happened to the big man during like our childhood era and like what ripple effects did it have? Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, I, I think that's the big thing. It's like people always think Roy Hibbert, right? Like the stiff but strong rim protector. But it's like, okay, but if KG got drafted eight years later, like KG would have been freaking awesome in the mid 2010s oh my god yeah. so much better his career would have been so <laughs> yeah. much better yeah than so it I, was. yeah i think it, well it's like partially yeah like the archetype of big man was weird but i truly do think like it might have just been like there wasn't that many good guys yeah. i mean you see it in other sports too like another football crossover right like the nfl like we have kelsey we had gronk a few years ago but like the tight end position i feel like has been like very devoid of talent and like laporta not to go off on this, like for the Lions has been awesome as a rookie, but like we've had a ton of rookies coming to the NFL last year that were like top 10 picks at tight end and they just kind of end up being like good-ish. Yeah. Hey, you better bring up my my boy in Arizona, Trace McBride. He's, I think Trace is his name, Trey, Trace. Uh, McBride, he's been awesome. Um, but yes, no, the, the tight end position. I mean, I feel like that's a position that there's always been like, a huge like give and take of like we're lucky if there's like five guys good, good ones who yeah. are like super elite in the NFL at any given time. All right, what is your New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution. So I gotta like turn back the clock a little bit to my preseason predictions. I vastly underrated what I thought the Thunder were gonna be because I was worried about their rim protection. I was I vastly or not vastly, but I think I was a lot lower on what I thought the Heat were going to be because I was worried about their depth. I was worried about their offseason moves. So that brings me to my New Year's resolution is I need to be more accepting of the idea that rookies can contribute to winning. I, I think we saw that in Christian Braun. I kind of shoved that off. But the, the key to this really is rookies that have a super defined role and set of expectations for them. And that brings us to, because we, we've seen so many rookies, especially this year on pretty good teams, contribute to that. Three especially that I really want to highlight, and that's Jaime Hawkes Jr., yep. who we've talked about earlier on this podcast. Juan Wick. Or, uh, we, we talked about him last week. Juan Wick. The be one of the best nicknames <laughs> in the league right now. He's been awesome. Um, Chet Holmgren has been like absolutely like the linchpin of a defense of one of the top five teams in the NBA. And then the other guy, we we uh, we talked a lot about how like rough the Warriors have been, but Brandon uh, Podziemski has been absolutely awesome for them. Um, you want to just like jump around with me to each one of these guys. I, I pulled some stats to just kind of like illustrate a skill or something that has been really awesome. The, the first one that I grabbed was pods pods. 
What I love most about him and why I think he really, really contributes to the Warriors being a winning team in a real way is his rebounding ability from the guard position. He's only 6'5", not a huge guy, but per 100 possessions, and I, and I used per 100 possessions because his minutes have been really all over the place. At the beginning of the year, he wasn't playing. Now he's playing a bunch. But per 100 possessions, he's averaging 11.5 rebounds uh, per 100 possessions. There have only been two rookie guards that have ever done that before. Those guys, Ben Simmons and Luka Doncic. Wow. Two, like, giants. Yeah. Like, guys that are not, like, supposed to be traditional guards. Of guys, if we're broadening broadening it and looking at just this season, four guards, guys that have played all their minutes or most of their minutes at the guard position are averaging that many rebounds per 100 possessions with at least the minutes that Pods has played. It's Pods, Ben Simmons, who's barely played any minutes at all, Russell Westbrook, and Scotty Barnes. Like one of the best rebounding guards of all time, and Scotty Barnes, who is like big. by all means a big. Yeah. So, like, I mean, first of all, I just wanted to give that shine to Pods. Like, that is incredible. Next thing, Chet. Yeah, I mean, Chet's, we've talked about Chet a lot on this podcast, but like the shooting, the rim protection, the fit, like just fitting around Shea, like, kind of had it all he's starting to do a little bit more on ball i don't know if you remember i had that stat that it's mm-hmm. like jet's like low-key not creating any of his own buckets that's kind of changed he had a self alley-oop the other day like he's, he's starting to put it the whole package together for sure yeah so he's he's shooting 37 percent from three still which is awesome especially for a rookie center he's averaging two blocks and obviously he's shooting over one three-point uh attempt per game can you guess, I, we did this exercise earlier in the year, and I want to test your memory. Can you guess oh, no. players, oh, no. they're all modern players. I want to see how many players you can guess that have hit these marks. 37% from three, one or more attempt per game, and then two blocks a game. Durant, no, Durant's not averaging two blocks. Durant, Is it just Jaron? Jaron's never done it, <sighs> because you got to remember with Jaron, Jaron was really good at shooting threes, and then he was really good at protecting the rim. They've never overlapped. Oh, my God. Uh, dude, I, I, think I already forgot. We got Brooke Lopez. Okay. He did it last year. Miles Turner's done it twice. Chris Apps Porzingis did it in a New York year. And then we got a couple guys from like the mid 2000s. Dante Jones. Dante Jones did it. Um, Serge Ibaka did it in one year in OKC. Uh, I think that was a, a an all-defensive year. And then the one guy that I was really surprised, the first person to ever do it, 2001, 2002, Rafe LaFrentz. <laughs> um, list. But it's just crazy that he is like in that conversation. Okay, now a game that... You're just going to love. This is my cherry-picked stat for Jaime Jaquez. So, of course, Jaime Jaquez is averaging 13 points a game, almost four rebounds a game at 3.9, two assists, shooting 37% from three, and 51% at just overall field goal percentage. So I put 
just those the three primary stat columns and then his efficiency stats. And I looked to see what players in their first three years have ever done this. Two players, one player that is doing this this year with Jaime is Jalen Johnson with Atlanta, but he's barely played. Another player, Chris Webber did it when he was in Washington, but he only played 15 games that season. So only one player in NBA history has ever done this near close to as long as Jaime Jaquez has done this. Wait, I'm a little confused. Look at Doncic's stat line. Because he did not have the efficiency. He didn't. He didn't hit the efficiency. Okay, so the efficiency. See, I feel like a big must have done this at some point. It was a big, I, and it was in 2018, 2019. And this is a rookie only. First three years. It's a first three year guy. Okay. Wow, mm-hmm. I'm shocked. I, Jaime's been amazing, but I feel like that stat line does not jump off the page in a way that I would guess that this is a rare. That's stat why I line. was so shocked because when I um, looked for rookies. Jaime was the only guy that had ever done it. Okay. You're, you're going to be on your ass when I tell you who this was. 18-19, an Eastern Conference player. He's still playing today. He's in the Western Conference now. Oh, he switched. Yep. So it's not Bam. It's not Bam. The official, I, okay. He switched conferences. You know what? Um, no, it's not a Boston guy. Or is it Daniel Tice? No, it's not Daniel Tice. Um, <laughs> no, it's a it's a guy who's made All Star teams. Okay, it's a big who switched conferences who's made All Star teams. Yep, bro, how am I blanking on this? Because Porzingis was east to west. I I don't blame you at all for not realizing. Gobert was always west. Cat was always this. west. Uh, I'm just going through like Western All Star bigs. Like it's not AD. He was always in the West. It's all right. Who is it? It is Sabonis. Oh, Sabonis. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's that. No, that makes sense. But like, I I just think like it needs to be said. Like Jaime is playing like an elite, elite role player who has room to grow into a star right now. And I just like because real in reality, the only guys that have ever done this is Chris Webber, who is one of the most underrated power forwards of all time was really amazing and he he only sustained this over a 15 game sample size and then Sabonis who honestly we were talking about eras of big men earlier yeah Sabonis is probably playing in the worst possible era for himself right now so really really awesome that's my cherry picked stat for Jaime Hawkes contributing to winning and then my last guy we, I just I needed to do this Wemby Oh, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick Mavsward. How dare you leave (laughs) Derek Lively off this list of instant impact rookies? That's true. How dare you? But I will, I will say for Jaime, like he has been amazing for the heat. And I think the lesson really is like, yes, young guys can contribute, but it's the secret thing where it's like guys who come in who are already 21 or 22 years old are like kind of sneakily always kind of instant contributors like Keegan Murray last year. Jaime Hawkes obviously is a bit older. Pajemski's 20. It's like, it's one of those things to monitor where it's like, if they are coming in older, there's a good chance they actually can contribute right away. Yeah, but I, I think like there's a fine line and I don't want you to sell your guys short. Like there's guys like 
you know, Buddy Heald came in late, and obviously, yeah, it took a while. Turned turned into a, a good really contributing good player, yeah. player, but like, it's, it's hard to do it right away. No, you're right. It is it is hard, but we are definitely seeing rookies make. I mean, it's just the bar to be a good NBA player is so high. So like, to get to the NBA, you have to be so good nowadays. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, this I just love this stat so much. This is gonna be my last stat. Okay, Wemby is averaging 18 points. 10 rebounds, little more than two assists, and three blocks a game. That The three blocks probably went up last night. Can you tell me who the last person to put up those, those oh, stats? Oh, it's probably got to be a historical center. Is it Elijah Wan? Nope. It's happened sooner than Elijah Wan. Elijah Wan did do it like seven times. It's done. It's been done 30 times in NBA history over the, the course of the The block season. numbers are hard to maintain. And the high scoring, which means you're a really good two way. But is it an is it Embiid? It's not Embiid. It's not Embiid. Is it Davis? It, you're thinking in this in the right ilk. It's not Davis either. Well, it's not Yoke. It's not Jokic. Not no. Jokic. I guess could it? Well, yeah. Could it be like a Dwight Howard? Not Dwight. Dwight wasn't able to do it either. How recent was it? It was. Um, I'll tell you the exact year. It was ninety nine two thousand. Oh, it's Shaq. It's Shaq. Yeah. The the last time this was done was Shaq's only MVP season. And we're seeing this out of a 19-year-old rookie. Yeah. So my next question for you is out of the, I guess, 29 times before taking Vic out of this, that this has been done over the course of the season, how many times, and the way I ask this question is going to give up the answer, but how many times has this stat line been done by someone who is not a Hall of Fame center? Once. Zero times. Zero. Yeah, I mean, Wemby's obviously in the hot track. Insane! Yeah, he's good. Bill Walton in his MVP season. David Robinson did this six times. Hakeem Olajuwon. The only time Shaq did it was in his MVP season. You said Olajuwon did it seven times? I think so. That guy was pretty good at basketball. Yeah. (laughs) Hot take. I, I think it's just really funny to hear, like, Shaq's only did it once after that week where Shaq's like, I cleared Hakeem. And exactly. it's like, actually, Hakeem, seven times you, brother. Yeah, actually, one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, Shaq did it seven times. Or, I mean, Hakeem did it seven times. Kareem did it seven times. Patrick Ewing only did it twice. Like, insane. And like, like you said a million times, he's not even being like set up to like... Succeed. Succeed. But I will, I will ask... Are all the other guys who have this stat line averaging like an additional six points on top of that, though? Um, yes and no. Like some people are, but I imagine a lot of those Elijah one seasons, it's like the same stat line, except the points is like 28. (laughs) I was the biggest place where there's like a difference is the overall field goal percent percentage. Like all these guys are like. 10 points above. Yeah. Except when, I be, think, when people get there with a proper team. Because like yeah. talking about, these are their MVP years where they're on teams that facilitate them being able to win the MVP. But yeah, no, Wemby's super promising. Yeah, the, the one guy that has a similar um, field goal percentage is uh, Elvin Hayes, who was great, but it just for whatever reason in, in that season, his efficiency wasn't there. But overall, I just need to be open. Shout out to the Rooks. To rookies contributing rookies being awesome and i hope that continues as we go forward we'll see with uh, this upcoming year draft class yes we will (laughs) we will i might have to uh, Um, go back to my old ways for but 
I do want to just give a shout out to Lively again. We've talked yes. about Lively a lot on this podcast, but last year the Mavs, after the Kyrie trade, not even necessarily Kyrie's fault, just kind of like the depletion of overall wing talent after that trade. Just like the Mavs were so historically bad on defense. And like, it's not like they're world beaters this year, but like going from like worst ever to like 22nd is like the big jump that allows them to be like a four seed. Yeah, no, he does so many little things. Um, I, I, I don't know why I, I didn't yeah. put in. It's just one of those microaggressions that I need to um, <laughs> pat out of myself. Um, but yeah. Patrick Mavsward for the next like three days. That's true. That's true. I still am Patrick Mavsward. Yeah, check me out on Twitter. Um, okay. Hot streak shooting slump? Hot streak shooting. I mean, before we go there, is there anything else about the NBA in 2023 that you want to like You know what? Actually, yes, on? I do. I do. There's been a lot of hubbubaloo. We're not the first people to talk about this, about free throw rate. And Patrick, as someone who played, when I play, you know, pickup hoops, like I'm not pretending to say I played D1 or I played NBA or anything like that. But I feel like the NBA, I think there's a lot of like a lot of defensive fouls now used to be offensive fouls. And I don't think we should go back to that. I think there should just be more no calls. I don't think a body hitting the floor in a game of basketball means there's a foul. I think a lot of offensive players initiating contact, which like causes a defensive player to foul them, like because, you know, if you hit somebody in the chest, a lot of the times your shoulders roll forward or like you hit someone near the elbow, it might cause their elbow to bend and it might cause their hand to hit you. Like I think defensive fouls that are caused clearly by an offensive aggression Am I, I feel like there should be no calls. I'm I'm so with I, you, man. I don't think there needs to be an offensive foul or a defensive foul. I feel like we should get the free throw rate down because I this year it is at its highest. It's like 16.5%, I think, which is like, you know, it's only like 1% higher than like 1.5% higher than two years ago. But like there's a little too many foul calls in NBA. A lot of NBA games are like really choppy nowadays. Yeah, I'm, I'm so with you. And I mean, like we've talked at length about especially like charges in the modern NBA. Like I, I'm on record of saying like, I think the amount of charges that the NBA calls like actively hurts the league's health. Yeah. I have a weird take on charges that no one seems to agree with me on, but I don't understand why no one has my same position. I think the charge where you sit there and set a screen and wait to get obliterated should be illegal. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. But I'm on the you. other time, I know this kind of contradicts what I just said. They should call actual charges where, like, offensive players are running backing with the ball or lowering their shoulder like a battering ram. Like, that is what the call is meant to be. It's not meant to be for defensive players to not attempt to block the shot. I mean, the play where someone stands right on the edge of the restricted area and sets effectively sets a screen waiting to get ran over, like... And especially when the guy's like left his feet at the same time and then they call it a charge. Like, come on, man. Like, what is the offensive player supposed to? It's like the rare. It's the one call in basketball where the offensive player is just getting screwed by the refs. It's like the NBA like doesn't want to succeed almost with this charge thing. Because like the best thing in the NBA is poster dunks. No matter, it has a 100% approval rating. Everyone wants to see them. And you know what takes a poster dunk from good to great? It's when the defender is it trying to block it. Yeah, and I, I like I, what I really hate is like a flagrant foul, right, is when you commit a non-basketball act. 
I feel like setting a screen on defense and waiting to get ran over is not a defense is not a basketball play. Like that's what is that? Preach. Preach, man. Hell like, yeah. I feel like it's like one of those things where it's like, well, a high IQ defender. It's like, dude, we should we want block shots, we want poster dunks. It's better for the sport, it's better for safety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like John Morant going for or Anthony Edwards going for crazy poster dunks and the guy standing underneath them with his hands on his like crotch is like that leads to these airborne injuries. Like it's not safe. It's not fun to watch. It slows the game down. Like they need to completely overhaul the way shooting fouls and charges are called. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. Um I don't know if I have anything. Uh, I I think this has been or at least last year was a super fun postseason. Um the Nuggets are definitely like the victors of 2023 yeah. as a whole. But um, it will be, I, I have no idea who we're going to be looking at as like, that's the well, team I guess that nailed it. 2023 has ended, Patrick. Gun to your head. The 2024 champion is? I got to go Boston Celtics right now. I will say my preseason pick was the Suns and I got to take a step <laughs> back from that. But I'll, 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 whenever I have the opportunity, I'll remind you that I had that take. I'm going to stick with the Denver Nuggets. Okay. Okay, I would love to see a Celtics Nuggets series. It'd oh be my fun. God. Shout out to Aaron Gordon, man. Oh, yeah. So if you guys didn't see, Aaron Gordon got uh, a dog bit his face and hand. Yeah. Uh, and he might be out for some time. He had to get like 20 something stitches. Like, imagine that dog. I think it was a Rottweiler. Okay. I was, reading, I was, doing, I was doing a deep dive. I was doing a deep dive into the Aaron Gordon dog bite story. Um, yeah. Do you want to know? Do you care for the research? Sure. Sure. Why not? So what people had said was there was a Frenchie on Aaron's story, okay. and but Aaron owns a Rottweiler. And the speculation is that the Frenchie and the Rottweiler got into a fight, and Aaron broke up the fight. And uh, so I learned from my research, apparently, if there's a dog fight, you want to grab their back legs. Mm. It's the safest way to apparently break up a dogfight. I have never tested this, but a lot of a lot of people chiming in were saying that's the safe way to do it. So you that's, see a dogfight, water or back legs. Don't put your hand near their faces. That is really good information. Yeah, Thank you for sharing safe. that. Yeah, keeping people safe one pot at a time. Yeah. All right. Hot streak shooting slump. Hot streak shooting slump. Let's go. I mean, I'm on a hot streak right now. I mean, we had Christmas this week, which was awesome. I went to Universal Studios for the first time which was very, very fun a couple days ago. Um, and then I uh, I won our uh, Fantasy Football League. You did win the Bucket Squad Fantasy Football League. Distraction from basketball for the win. Who was your MVP? My of MVP season. of the season. I got to give it to Puka Nakua. He's like, <laughs> rookie. Rookie, yeah. to your point. Rookie's a rookie, coming in. He contributed winning to winning. He had a, an absolutely gigantic game in the championship. Um, also, Brock Purdy. Uh, I didn't have him for the for the full season, but he he really came through. He almost choked you the championship game, though. He was it was terrifying. <laughs> four interceptions, special four interceptions. If I didn't, and then Kyron Williams also, y'all. Every everybody was clowning me when I traded uh, Travis Kelsey for Kyron Williams, but you know what? He won me that chip, so uh, I'm happy. Um, what about you, my friend? Been on a hot streak. There uh, we go. You know, I was on that three week shooting slump of just godly horrible performance. Clay Thompson S. Yeah. Clay's actually been tricking up a little bit. I gotta give a shout out to Clay. Clay you Thompson know? S. Clay Thompson S. I'm back. Um yeah, I didn't have any pipes burst this week. I didn't have any flooding. Um my house has been it's been good. 
There we go. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. I don't, you know, Christmas was great. Got to spend some time with the family, spend some time with the brother. We, uh, you know, tonight doing a little poker night. So I'm about to lose a bunch of money, but you know what? <laughs> there we go. It's all good. You know, it's the all pod, about family. The pod set up. We finally raised the table. You guys don't have to watch me <laughs> shake my leg anymore. I know that was a big, uh, yeah. a big uh, point of frustration issue. for all my foul trouble fans. Uh, we got to come up with a name for the listeners. I know. I don't know. We'll, we'll workshop it. Yeah. Um, maybe Comment like below if you have an idea. The the belligerents because they're committing so many fouls. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's been a hot streak. Not, nothing else to note too, too much. You know, I've just been been vibing. Actually, you know, I had a little bit of a shooting slump as it relates to video games. I don't oh. know if anyone cares, but... Everyone cares. Dude. <laughs> so I, I love franchise mode on Madden, bro. So I've, I'm like playing these games... And after one play, it's sub Saquon Barkley out. And I'm like, what the heck? And then I notice it's also subbing out my tight end one and my wide receiver one and two. And I keep Googling like Madden subs out, start running back after one play. Apparently, this has been a glitch in Madden for since Madden 22. We're on Madden 24 now. And it's just never been fixed. And there's no fix for it. What? Yeah. Madden, what are you doing? <laughs> like I somehow never ran into this glitch in Madden 22 or 23. And I play a lot of Madden like off. That's like kind of my free time game. Where I like to put on a podcast and zone out, run my franchise, you know, like, and yeah, apparently it's just the glitch that's been in Madden for years and there's no fix for it. That's insane. Like the one thing you want to do in any sports video is play game, with the best players. It's just play with the best players. Yeah. yeah. No, I was excited. I drafted a six, nine receiver and I switched to the tight end and He's really starting to blossom as a tight. Nope, he plays one snap and he's out of there. Uh, <laughs> it's really, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's like I don't know, man. This kind of sucks. And then I, I was like, man, I guess I'm done with Madden because I don't want to start over. Like, and I don't want to deal with that. And if they're not going to fix, they didn't fix it last year or the year before. They're not going to fix it this year. Hop onto Minecraft. I'm like really high level. Got all my diamond gear for the first time. I started a realm with this friend of mine. I died. Lost all my stuff, dude. Just depressed. Damn. Hopped on 2K, bro. I won a game. Then 2K to advance on like the play now online mode, you have to win a game as like a tier one team. So like a Minnesota Timberwolves, a tier two team, like a Dallas Mavericks, and then like a tier three team. So I never know who to be when it's tier three. So I like picking the Blazers because they've got shooting. Man, I hop on. For whatever reason, it says the like 66 bucks are a tier three team. Bro, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is just whooping my ass. <laughs> Come on, DeAndre. DeAndre yeah. Ayton, What bro. are you doing, man? Also 2K, like gave all these 60s guys like decent three-point ratings and then every time like oscar robertson buries a three like i literally just get so irrationally yeah. angry i'm like he couldn't shoot <laughs> that is so funny yeah like none of them but yeah video games have not been kind to me so i need i need to find a new game yeah yeah i i have no I, i'm not the biggest gamer so i have I have no answers for you but i believe in you man. yeah I'll, you, I'll find something to pass the time yeah, you'll find something <laughs> uh max hot streak or shooting slump um i hate to bring down the room but it's it's a slump <laughs> oh it's, no it's slump season over here yeah i mean there's a death in the family so i had to go to a funeral last week um i went to my girlfriend's place for uh or her family home for like Christmas and her mom got COVID the day that Ooh. we got there. So she, her mom had to just be quarantined in her bedroom the entire time. We didn't really get to do any Christmas celebration. <laughs> um, and then I don't know about you guys, but like the stretch of time between Christmas and New Year's is like my least favorite time of the year. Really? Why, Why is that? I don't know. It's just like a weird like limbo state where it's like the year feels over, but like it's not over yet. You don't get the excitement of like January 1st for like another week. 
and you're just I don't Max know. Max just misses you the know grind. What, you know what's crazy? Yeah, Max is Max does not run from the grind. No, no you know what? I love you know you know it's crazy that you said that. Yeah. This is my favorite week of the year. Really? Because for YouTubers, the way it works, shocker people, this is it's a business. So this is probably gonna this is gonna blow your mind. But the way YouTube works is the ad rates for how much you get paid to make YouTube videos takes a nosedive after the 23rd because everyone stops their holiday spending and there's no holidays in January other than like New Year's, which isn't a big spending holiday Whoa. for anything other than consumables. What about my birthday? Well, Patrick's birthday, of <laughs> course. Everyone unloads their... But basically the first <laughs> real holiday of the calendar year is Valentine's Day, right? But even that is not the biggest spending holiday. So you don't have a big spending holiday until like just general like it's summer so the way like youtube works is like ad rates plummet on the 23rd and then they just slowly increase before taking a, a jump in september so everyone wow. in the youtube world takes this week off so this is my week off every year that i'm like thank god it's the last week of december i can chill yeah I mean, I'm gonna make up for it this weekend. I'm gonna yeah. chill, like just fat chill. I can't chill. wait. Yeah. Um, but no, you're also, gonna grind. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also I come here and you guys make your picks for the champions next year, and nobody mentions the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I just feel <laughs> this is absolute slander. It's so much disrespect, and it's your lack of belief that prevents small market teams <laughs> from succeeding Whoa. in the NBA. I have never in my life been accused. Of being an anti-small market team person. <laughs> you know, it's crazy because obviously the whole time we've had like, I've been picking the Thunder as like, the, no, this is the team that's going to be really good. You pick the Timberwolves. Obviously, you're a Timberwolves fan. And like, Timberwolves are still number one seed. They're still really, really good. But like, the gap between them and the Thunder is getting closer and closer every day. It, you know, just in case we had extra time on this pod... I pulled up a little, or I wrote a little question with just the tiniest bit of research of who has the first slide between the Timberwolves and the Thunder. And to give the Timberwolves a little bit of shine, I want to point out the Timberwolves have not had back-to-back -back losses once this season, and they have had no five-game spans where they've been worse than three and two. And Let's the Thunder... Go. The Thunder's longest losing streak is only two games as well. Dude, they're they're, they're one and one so far in the regular season. Mm -hmm. We're ready. I mean, a Thunder Timberwolves playoff series would be great. Yeah, no, it Hell would. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. yeah. Once Giddy gets locked up, like we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of does that by himself with his inability to shoot. You don't need a lot to lock him up. Fair enough. Um. What was I gonna say? Oh, you know, Patrick. Actually, when you asked me anything to put a bow on it. I think I have a crazy NBA thing that I think I don't know how you're gonna feel about it, but I think I officially think the season should start on Christmas and keep the 82 games and let the season finish in like early August or July. I don't know. I I was reflecting upon the bubble and I kind of miss when there was just like NBA basketball on in the summer. Yeah, because yeah. the summer kind of sucks. There's no football. There's no basketball. If you're a hockey fan, you're out of luck. Like unless you're a baseball fan, like summer kind of sucks as a sports fan. It was interesting. I felt like there was like a little bit of like momentum towards that during the bubble. But then when the bubble happened, I remember like the TV ratings weren't like as good as the NBA was hoping. But I think one day they've got to try that out because it just makes no sense to me that that would be any worse than 
competing against the end or the NFL. NFL for three months, four months of your season. So I, I, I would love to see that one day. I mean, I'm going to watch all the games either way. Yeah, either way. I, yeah, as a fan, like I watch a lot of NBA basketball, but I, I was kind of like, damn, you know, it was really nice. Like that Lakers heat final. Like it was like, I think it was in, was it August? Like it was later than that. It was, I think it was September. September. But even yeah. that, like, I don't know, like I, I think it'd be kind of cool if the NBA finals wrapped up like right before week one of the NFL regular season. Be kind of a nice like yin and yang between the two. Uh, most popular leagues among like younger people like i don't know i'd like to see a little bit more like let's work together you know absolutely Hard and agree. Hard i agree yeah. i think the nba could also hurt the nfl a little bit with putting their free agency draft chaos right in the middle of the nfl season like we saw last year with the kd trade that happened on uh, Super Bowl media day and the only thing anybody was talking about was the Kevin Durant trade imagine if that happened every year at like week six of the NFL season yeah we get the Super Bowl we get the Durant trade the annual Durant trade and yes. we got all of our <laughs> all our drinks ready to watch the big game and we we're talking about the, the commercials the big game Durant trading um to his 20th team in 2030 when he's on the Philadelphia 76ers um, that would possibly kill baseball, though. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, does, that, does that upset anybody? <laughs> no. I mean, I, maybe some of the fans. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Otani, I, hopefully Otani is cool on the Dodgers. I, I don't know. I guess. I don't know. Dude, I, I, don't, I don't like the Dodgers. You know what I don't like? I don't like when baseball fans tell me, like, oh, my God, it's, it's like the biggest thing ever. I've been to, like, four Dodgers games the last two years. Dude. I have never seen a baseball game on an ESPN broadcast or in person where there's not like half the stadium empty. And look, there's 162 games. I don't blame the baseball fans, but at the same time, it's like, dude, like I've never seen a Lakers game where there's an empty seat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the other thing is, it's not like the Dodgers are bad. You know? <laughs> yeah. The Dodgers were like the one seed last year. I just really struggle to like wrap my head around baseball because it's like, even if you get the best guy, like it doesn't yeah, even like, matter. Otani was Trout. the best guy. Trout was the best guy. They were on the same team. Yeah, it didn't. It's matter. like imagine if you had in like 2016 and LeBron James and, and Steph Diff Curry were on the same team and missed the playoffs every year. Like, is this a baseball podcast now? Yes. <laughs> oh God. You know what? Let's stop being negative. Foul, foul trouble. It's uh, foul about balls. Foul balls. Um, but yeah, just the point stands. I think the NBA starting on Christmas would be cool and cool. I feel like this year is just a little weird because there was these high profile NFL games on the same day. And I feel like it did take away from NBA Christmas a little bit. And I feel like the NBA, it'd be cool. Like you start the season, the Christmas jerseys for the first game of the season, like the kick, the tip off jerseys. We could call them the tip off jerseys. That would be kind of cool. I guess the one thing the NBA loses from that is they lose having a, having opening day and christmas day yeah um, that's true that, that's but a good maybe point. even push it to like the start of december you yeah. know when college football or like the same week college football ends that's when the nba starts because i like from a fashion standpoint that nba jersey season overlaps with nba season season yes yes exactly <laughs> that's like that's a, a great point i've never heard it put you know like what i mean that. like basketball jerseys not winter clothes not basketball jerseys 
I mean, who? what else do you wear to a 4th of July party than like your retro NBA jersey, right? Absolutely. You get like a nice throwback ABA, Dr. J, Get a Stars Jordan, Team USA. Yeah, like exactly. there's nothing more patriotic than that. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're speaking to the, you're speaking to the preaching to the choir. That's what I was looking for. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, we've done enough. We've done enough. We've done enough. We've, we've talked too long. Um, thank you guys for listening to foul trouble in 2023. And I, I hope you guys are back with us in 2024. Yep. It's only going to get more fun. It's only going to get more fun. Only more text in 2024. We might change our upload schedule. We will let you guys know if we do. And, uh, we'll see you next year. Peace.